Thank you so much for being here. Isn't it those words of that song, we'll never know how much it costs to see our sins upon that cross. It's just, a, just an amazing statement of, of what our Lord had to go through for, for you and for me. And I don't guess that we ever will know. I think we'll know a lot more, of course, when we're there than we do now. But to know what it cost for him to do what he did for each of us, it just boggles my mind. And it's a nice reminder. It's a, it's a nice reminder in, in, in our hearts to, um, to remind ourselves how much our Lord loves us and, and what he did for us. And it should encourage us to uh, even love him more, if, if that's possible. And I'd I'd love for it to be possible in our lives. Um, there is a, a flyer. You don't need to look at it now. It's in your bulletin. But ladies, please, in starting uh, in the next uh, months, July and August, there's going to be uh, um, what we call a set in stone. And it's uh, women's ministries. It's for women of all ages. And all, all of your growth, depending upon your growth in the Lord, doesn't matter. Please attend you're going to really be blessed. It's on Tuesday. It starts this Tuesday, the 1st of July. Can you believe it's July already? 1st of July. And it's going to go through July and August. It's going to be um, just once uh, uh, that month. Uh, it, it's also uh, Anthony, uh, who, who, who plays uh, for the 180 for junior high and high schoolers, will be leading the worship. And Laura Chandler will be speaking on um, the hearts of a king. And I, I, I just cannot encourage you to go. I wish that us men could go, um, but we can't. <laughs> so, uh, ladies, I think you're going to really have a wonderful time. I, um, I really encourage you to, to come and to be a part of it. It's in the multi-purpose room. There will be child care, um, all of those things. So please come. It's good to see everybody. Turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 27. Thank you. It's great to see you. In Acts chapter 27, I entitled this, For I Believe God. That's one of the things that Paul says upon the ship. It could be really a statement of, of faith. It, and I, I mentioned to you before, and now I'm convinced that uh, this is correct. I mentioned to you before that I think the, the chronicling of this, this journey from uh, uh, Caesarea to Italy uh, on the way to Rome it isn't that critical that you and I know that they, the, the, the ship went into so much trouble and that they bounced around for 14 days, 14 nights. They didn't see the stars at night. They didn't see the sun at day. In other words, they, they couldn't navigate. They didn't know where they were going. But I don't think that was really an issue. To know that and not to know that is not going to do anything to our salvation. But what I think this place in Scripture was written for was for us to see the faith of Paul and how his faith was established upon this angel coming to him and saying to him, take courage, Paul, you're going to make it. You and all the people on the ship with you, you're going to make it to Italy. You'll get where you're going. And, and, and then Paul, as we're going to see in this place, really takes leadership. He, he, he goes from a guy that's in shackles, you know, he's in chains, and all of a sudden, he is the one that directing them what to do and what not to do and how all of them should stay on, on board the ship. If they leave, they're going to lose their lives. And Paul is showing them the faith that he has and the trust that he has on the Word of God. 
And that's what I think is for, at issue for you and me to learn about this place in Scripture. Our faith and our trust upon the Word of God. Please read with me. We left off on verse 13. We, we left off and, and up came, in verse 13, a moderate south wind came. And the crew supposed that this wind was, um, was going to be helpful for them to, to go off from Fairhaven to, to Crete. And so they, they started on this journey. Now verse 14 hits them. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Iraculo. When the ship was caught in it, it could not face the wind. We gave way to it and we let ourselves be driven along. Verse 16. Running under the shelter of a small island called Claudia, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it, hoisted it up, they used supporting cables in undergirding the ship and fearing that it might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis. They let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. Verse 18 tells us the next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor, star, nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us from then on, look, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Now we're going to read on to verse 32, but let's, let's kind of stop there. What we see is these hardened sailors on this ship going from wherever they were towards Italy is being tossed and turned by this storm. They've gone now 14 nights and 14 days without seeing the stars at night nor the sun at day. In other words, it is just completely overcast. And this violent wind that rushed down off the mountains of Crete from Europe, this what would be called a northeastern wind, it was a powerful and dangerous windstorm. It was dreaded by everyone who was in the Mediterranean. They had a name for it. It was called Iraculo. It was just a dangerous, dangerous windstorm. And so, as we just read in verse 20 and on, being caught in this storm, they had no choice but to be driven along wherever the wind was going to take them. And so not seeing stars, not seeing the sun, for many days they threw as much as they could overboard to lighten the load. But soon, as we learn, verse 20, soon they abandoned all hope for their lives. This is a dark moment. And it is a moment where we see turning on almost on this moment, Paul goes from prisoner to leader. And the reason being is because he knew and believed and trust in his God. And he gave them the only hope at that point in time that they could muster up in their own minds. And that is, maybe God will save us. And maybe some of those guys didn't even believe in a God. But all of a sudden, their hope was in Paul and his words. Now let's pray. Dear, dear Father, 
There isn't, I don't think, anything for us to learn concerning this storm apart from the analogy of taking this storm and moving it into a spiritual perspective. Seeing the leadership of Paul and seeing that Paul says, keep up your courage. An angel stood before me and told me what would take place. And again, we see, Father, that Paul is a witness of yours. He doesn't take any credit. He doesn't say, this is what I think is going to happen. He tells them what your word given to him through an angel will do to those who listen to your words. And so the lesson is they were to stay on the ship until Paul commanded them to go to shore. And Father, the lesson that we can learn is we're to do the things that you ask us to do, your ways, not ours. And so there's much to be learned in this behalf. So would you please teach us, Father? Would you please, by the grace of an almighty God, move me aside so that really we, we don't really notice who's talking so much as we kind of see what's taking place. And, and through the Bibles that we read, the words that we read, that you might, you might move and mold us and, and, and help us in, in a situation that maybe we're in that's, that's like a storm. It's, it's, it's making us abandon hope when in fact, Father, we have all the hope we need in you. And so I, I pray, Father, that you would open up our eyes, you would open up our hearts, our thoughts, and our minds this half hour, that we might behold wonderful things from your law, your word. Thank you, Father, for who you are. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Wow. That moved me. I, just Not my prayer. Just the thought that, that God... <laughs> Just the, just the thought that, that God uh, would allow us to know Him and to trust in Him. Which, by the way, this is just off the cuff, but this is why we study the Bible as we do. It, it's so that hopefully you and I get a, a deeper understanding of what's written in here. And when, it, when it's applicable, that we can apply it into our lives and it can give us the hope that, that nothing else and no one else can give us. You know, if, if you're listening to the news at all, and I, my, my wife loves political shows. We watch. Okay, I watch with her because I want to I talk with her, and I love it. I don't love watch, listening to it because, to me, here's what it is to me. You want to get a little insight of me on political things? I don't know anything politically. But I know this. These guys argue. You, have you ever watched them ask a political guy a question and see how they go around the question? And what they're doing is they're messing with our lives and our kids' lives and our children's, grandchildren's lives. I mean, give an answer. Tell us what you think. Ah, that's my insight. Though. And so I get real angry at watching these shows because they become flippant. She says, well, you listen to sports talk. And I said, yeah, sports isn't affecting our lives. These political people are. But if you're listening to what's going on in the world today and you have calm about you, you're a better person than me. Because this world in which we live is hanging by a thread, it appears. I mean, if Israel goes and attacks and, and, and nukes, what is it, Iraq or Iran? If they do that, war. 
and we don't have the oil, we don't have the fire, what do we do? I don't want to talk about political things. Thank you. Thank you. What I do want to do is to tell you that you and I can have hope. In a situation that looks like we're going absolutely nowhere and really quickly, we have hope. And that's what this message is all about. At this dark moment on this ship, this is where Paul's leadership skills shine the brightest. Look, we, we stopped at verse 20. Look at verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then, then, then Paul stood up in their midst and he said, Men, you, have, ought, you ought to have followed my advice. By the way, this is not sarcasm. This is not, I told you so. What he is saying basically is you should have listened to what God told me was going to happen. This is really Paul's fourth missionary journey. He is sharing Christ as clearly with these men on board this ship as he ever did anywhere else he went. As a matter of fact, he allowed them to see that God was the one who was moving them and that they would be safe as well as Paul because of God whom he says, I belong, and to whom I serve. He says, I believe in my God. So therefore, take courage. Watch. Paul stood up in their midst, verse 21. He says, you ought to have followed my advice not to have set sail from Crete and and incurred this damage and loss. Yet, he says, verse 22, now I urge you, keep up your courage because, he says, there will be no loss of life among you but only the ship. Because, he says in verse 23, this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and the God to whom which I serve stood before me. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, verse 24. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you, and note, all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, Paul says to the men in verse 25, Keep up your courage, men, because I believe God. In other words, I believe my God at His word. It'll turn out exactly as I have been told, Paul tells them. But we must run aground on a certain island, which, as we're going to learn in chapter 28, verse 1, will be Malta. Paul's statement that they should have followed his advice earlier in verse 21 was just a gentle reminder. It wasn't sarcasm. It wasn't trying to one-up them. Paul was saying, I wasn't speaking on my own initiative. I was saying what God told me to say to you, that he would save us, them too. Look at verse 24. God has granted all who are sailing with me, Paul says. All of us will be saved. So what Paul was doing when he said what he said in verse 21 was to remind them and the crew that he had prophesied this very problem earlier. In in verse 10 of chapter 27, Paul said, guys, we ought not go. I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage, a great loss, not only to the cargo, not only to the ship, but also to our lives. And so Paul pre-warned them that they ought not to have made this trip. Therefore, he urged them, verse 22, keep up your courage. An angel spoke to me, and there shall be no loss of life among us, only the ship. And then look at verse 25. Verse 25 is great. Therefore, he says, keep up your courage, man. 
For I believe God. It's going to turn out exactly as I have been told. Now understandably, you think it through, understandably, this had to be very encouraging words to all those who were aboard the ship. In fact, at this particular time, it was really the only thing they they had to cling to. They had really no hope of anything but what Paul told them might take place through God who spoke to him by an angel. Even if they were men that didn't believe in God, all of a sudden, because they are now abandoning all their hope, they think they're going to die on the sea in a place they don't even know where they are. All of a sudden, they're clinging to what Paul said and this God to whom he says, I belong, I've served, I believe him. Things are going to happen exactly as he said they would. You know, it made me think, the world and the unbelievers that you and I live amongst right now in this world in which we live today, they owe so much to the mercy of God given in and through believers who walk alongside of them. I mean, you can see it throughout all of Scripture. The best place to see it, though, I think is in Genesis chapter 39. Just hold your place here. Look at two verses. It's, it's again, the life of Joseph with Potiphar and also with Joseph and the chief jailer. Joseph was sold by his brothers. Terrible incident. He goes to Egypt. He is there with Potiphar. All of a sudden, he wins favor with Potiphar. Joseph, being a good-looking young man, his Potiphar's wife tries to make a move on him. That's a whole other story. But uh, because of that, because she lied about Joseph to Potiphar, Potiphar had Joseph put in jail. But first, look at Genesis chapter 39, verse 5. It came about that from the time he, that he there is Potiphar, the time that Potiphar made him, that him there is Joseph. So it came about that from the time Potiphar made Joseph an overseer in his house over all that he owned, note, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house, blessed Potiphar's house. Why? On account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that Potiphar owned in the house and in his field. It was because of Joseph, God blessing Joseph, that God also blessed Potiphar. Potiphar was so fortunate to have Joseph a part of his life. Just as people today are so fortunate to have believers a part of their lives. Look at verse 23. Now now Joseph is in jail. But we note the chief jailer in verse 23 didn't supervise anything under Joseph's charge. Why? Well, the jailer saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made him prosper. Listen, folks, the same thing is true with you and me. God will prosper us as He so sees fit. If we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt us at the proper time. He will prosper us when He's good and ready. In the meantime, we're to cast all of our anxieties, all of our cares upon Him because He cares for us. And He will bless those we are alongside. And the world, I I don't think they have an idea how much they owe believers who walk in their midst. Well, now Paul, back please to Acts chapter 27. Paul, by now, has earned his leadership role. And he alone has remained calm. He alone has, has the answers to what is going to take place. He alone is in control. Why? 
because he alone had the absolute trust in the Word of God. We have a moment. Stop here for a second. Hold your place here. Look back at Mark chapter 4. I'm going to teach you a great lesson about, about the, uh, the sameness. Is that the right way of saying it? Between the Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and God the Father, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look at Mark chapter 4, please. Matthew and then Mark. In Mark chapter 4, the reason I want to point this out to you is because there is also a violent storm and the apostles, the disciples of the Lord, are on the ship along with Jesus Christ. He says to them in verse 35, On that day when evening had come, Jesus Christ said to them, Let's go over to the other side. Now, they should have listened to him. He didn't say, let's go halfway and we'll drown. He said, let's go over to the other side. Within the Word of God, there have been promises that God has made to you and me. We ought to know what those promises are and cling to them and not take them out of context, nor deny that our Lord God has made some amazing promises to you and to me. So he says, let's go to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with them. Then it says in verse 37, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up, filling up with water. They now become frightened. Don't blame them. But they should have listened. We're going to the other side. So they, verse 38, Jesus Christ was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We're dying here and you're sleeping. What in the world are we going to do? Being aroused, it says in verse 39, Jesus Christ rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush. Be still. And that's, that's, you either believe that or you don't. But man, to believe that, it, it, I get goosebumps. To believe that is an amazing thing. Would have loved to just have seen it. Wouldn't have wanted to have been on the boat. I, got, I would have been thrown up. I would have missed the whole thing. I mean, <laughs> you Scotty, I would have been, Ralph, you know, Ralph, what happened? It's calm. Ralph, you know, I've been thrown up. I would have missed the whole thing. But here he says, hush, be still. And we see that the wind died down, verse 39, and became perfectly calm. And then he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? But they say, they became very much afraid. And they said to one another, who is this guy? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? He's the Messiah. He's God. Let me prove it to you. It's a great cross-reference. Hold, hold your place still in Acts 27, but now go back to the Old Testament. Look at Psalms 107. Psalm 107. I learned this. I don't know when. I have it written down in my, my book. I don't remember who did the teaching. I don't remember how I came across this, but it is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. In Mark chapter 4, as well as in Luke and, and Matthew, it's the same story of Jesus Christ calming the sea. Jesus Christ calming the sea. And they ask the question, who is this guy that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here's who he is. 
in Psalm 107, verses 28 and 29, it's talking about God, the God, the God Jehovah. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the Messiah. It's talking about God of very God. Look, verse 28, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. That's the God, Jehovah, doing the same thing that the God named Jesus Christ does to give us the promises. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 20, they asked him, who are you? He says, I and the Father are one. You see the Father doing, you'll see the Son doing. We do the same. We are the same. It's a great cross-reference of who Jesus Christ is concerning who God is. Both of them hushed the sea by just their word. So back to Acts chapter 27, I say all of that to you that, that Paul more than likely heard the story from the disciples and the apostles that they were on the ship and that Jesus Christ calmed the sea. And so because of all of that, Paul had complete trust in God's promise, His word Look, you and I have the same promises. We hold the same promises right here in our laps. It is the promises that God has given to us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. It is the promise that He says that He is our God and we will always know Him and He will always love us and He will take us. He will physically take us to heaven itself and He will not lose a one of us. Those are the promises that we have from the Word of God along with so many other wonderful promises. And so because Paul was correct telling them that their storm was going to be miserable, in the past he told them these things, gives him credit to what he's going to say now, but also a little later on in the future. Paul said in verse 22, there's not going to be any loss of life for all of us who stay on this ship. And in the future, when they started to flee... They would listen to Paul, and sure enough, their lives would be spared. Look, in verse 30, for instance, the sailors were trying to escape from the ship. They were, they were going to leave the ship and let all the other people on the ship die. They wanted to save their own lives. Can't really blame them. And they were taking the most practical route because they had now surmised that they're close to land. They couldn't see it, but they surmised because of they took some soundings and it went from 120 feet to 90 feet and they figured, we're getting towards shore. So they were going to jump on this little dinghy boat and go and kind of maneuver themselves to the shore. And when they tried to escape, in verse 30, they had let down the ship's boat to the sea. And here's what they're doing. They're sneaking off. It was on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. But really, they were trying to run. Paul understood what they were doing in verse 31. And he said to the centurion, and he said to the soldiers, unless... Unless those men who are trying to escape remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. And so what did the soldiers do? Paul, the prisoner, now is Paul the leader, the captain of the ship. The, the soldiers and the centurions cut away the ropes from the ship and they let it fall, fall away and they kept all the men on board because of what Paul said. You see, Paul's faith was taking God at his word that's what I, I believe that this was, this was chapter's all about. 
It's all about faith, that you and I would take God at His Word, what He is saying in our lives. And some of you are going through deep waters. Some of you have had a difficult time. But God has not let His hands off of you once. No way. No way. And so faith is taking God at His Word. It means relying upon Him wholeheartedly on the clear-cut promises that He gives to you and me in and through this, the Bibles that we hold in our laps. The issue concerning faith is this. It isn't, it isn't that you and I have great faith. Some of us here do. Some people have a gift of faith. Some of us have just a little bit of faith, but we have enough faith the size of a mustard seed to save ourselves. You see, the true issue concerning faith is this. It isn't that we have a large amount of faith or a little bit of faith. It is that we have whatever faith we have in a great God. It isn't your faith that saves you. It is whatever faith that you have, be it little like a mustard seed or great like a mountain. It is where you place your faith that matters. It is faith in a great God that is true, saving faith. And so, verses 27 to 29, about the 14th night, about midnight, the sailors thought they were getting close to land. This is before they jumped ship. They, they took some soundings. 20 fathoms, as it says in verse 28, was about 120 feet. 15 fathoms was about 90 feet. And so they surmised that they were approaching land. And they were going to jump ship. And now we see Paul take leadership. And that's what I believe this chapter is all about. Just this moment. Paul's leadership is made complete. Those who were trying to escape were held back because Paul's word, really his command. He said to the centurion, to the soldiers, unless you keep those guys on board, you yourselves will not be saved. Now let's look at the spiritual side of this. Let's, let's spiritualize this a little bit. Let's not try to take it out of context, but let's bring it to where it really ought to be. And that is the spiritual thought. It's not just a group of men on a ship that's going down, they think, where they think they're going to lose their lives. Here's the spiritual side of it. Paul tells the centurions and the soldiers that the only assurance that they have and the men on that ship have is to do what? Stay on board the ship. Why is that so important? Paul wants them to know spiritually that he has put his trust in the Word of God. You see, as it says in um, verse 23, this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood before me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you and all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, he says in verse 25, because I believe God. And God told Paul those who were on the ship were going to be saved, not those who abandoned the ship. In other words, you cannot get to safety spiritually. You cannot get to safety by doing it your own way. You have to do what the angel of my God said we are to do, and that is to stay on the ship. We cannot take matters into our own hands, is what Paul is saying spiritually. 
Paul says, I believe God. And he is saying clearly, if you too want to be saved, then you need to stay on board this ship. Because, verse 24, the angel said that God has granted me, Paul, and all who are sailing with me, safety. Spiritually, what does that mean? Well, if you think, or anyone thinks, that they can find life by ignoring what God has said and try to find it their own way, they are in deep, terrible waters. Sooner or later, they're going to find out that their way is utterly impossible. Let me give you the clearest cut of example. You don't even need to hold your place here in Acts 27 anymore. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. I've given you this example before. It is an example of Cain. The example that that Cain comes before God thinking that he can appease God his way, not God's way. It's the same spiritual lesson that Paul is trying to teach us here in Acts, or actually our Lord God is trying to teach us in Acts chapter 27. In Genesis chapter 4, it says the man, Adam, had relations with his wife, Eve. She conceived and gave birth to Cain, that's their firstborn. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She is basically saying, and we won't study this now, but she is basically saying that God had promised a Messiah. God had promised someone who would come that would give them the forgiveness of all of their sin and all that they did wrong there in the Garden of Eden. And here he is, Cain. What she didn't realize is what you and I now, God waited some 2,000 more years before Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, appeared. Well, after she gave birth to Cain, it says again in verse 2, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now it says Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but it says Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 3 is key. So it came about in the course of time. That's the key. In the course of time teaches you and me that it is a specific place, a specific time, a specific thing that, the, that they were to do as a family to come before God. In a course of time, they were to go someplace and do something very specific, specific before God. And what he told them to do was a lesson he taught them when he, when he clothed them after they recognized that they had, when they sinned, uh, and they recognized they were, they were naked, he clothed them with animal skin. And when he clothed them with an animal skin, uh, he took the blood of an animal, and he taught them that there was through the blood that there would be the way that they could come before him and approach him. It was the way that they were to have their sins forgiven. Today, you and I don't need the blood of an animal. We have the blood of a Savior. I think that would make PETA quite happy, would it not? We don't have to kill animals anymore. The blood that was shed by our Savior upon the cross was the blood that was sufficient for your salvation and mine. And it was by God's demand and command the only way we were to come to Him. So, the lesson is pure. Watch, Cain. It says in verse 3, At this course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, verse 4, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions thereof. And the Lord God had regard for Abel and for his offering. Why? Because Abel was doing what God had told him to do. Bring some blood from an animal. 
But it says in verse 5, For Cain and for his offering, the fruit of the ground that he brought, the vegetables, which, by the way, I believe were the best he had to offer. I believe it was Cain's very, very best. He offered the Lord God the best he had. And it says that for Cain and his offering in verse 5, God had no regard. So Cain became very angry. His countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? Verse 7, if you do well. In other words, if you do what I've told you to do, will not your countenance be lifted up? But he said, be careful, Cain. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. In other words, if you don't do what I've asked you to do, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, Cain. You've got to master it. You've got to master this problem you're having with trying to come to me your way. I have given you a way. It is the only way. It is the way I had told you to come. If you want to take your brother's flock and bring me uh, an animal, that's fine and dandy. But you cannot come by bringing me what you think is going to appease me. And it's not the fruit of the ground. And what we see here in, in Acts chapter 20, 27 is those sailors trying to get off that boat, trying to save themselves their way is utterly impossible. Listen, no matter how desperate your situation or my situation seems to be, our ultimate safety is found only by remaining in the will of God. And that's why we study the Bible as we do. We want you and me, we want to be people who understand what is God's will for us? What does He want from us? What are the promises that He has given you you and me? What does He desire from us to be? And that is to be obedience. Through our obedience, we'll show and express Him our love. And we can take up our courage because God is in complete control. It's a great lesson. And the lesson is it is far better for you and me to be with God in the midst of danger than it is to be without God in a place of apparent safety. This this is personal, but please forgive me. It's, what, it's just kind of the way it is. Let me just share you this. Yesterday I had to take a test. Uh, I, I, my heart's been beating erratically for five years now. It's no big thing. Everybody, a lot of people get it. It's called uh, AFib, whatever they call it. What is it, doctor? Atrial fibrillation. And, and it's okay. So at first, when I first got it, it's kind of scary. If you've ever had it, and I hope and pray you never do, but you lay down at night and you can hear your heart beat and it goes thump, thump kind of wait, you know, because it misses a beat or two. And then it goes, you know, and you wait. And it was scary at first. Now it's part of it. So I take this test. This guy gives me an EKG, I think they call it, putting things all over me, you know. And he says, lay still. And okay, I'm laying there, so still. And he's really a neat guy. He told me he wasn't a doctor, but he he does this test. He's just the nicest guy. He was from Hawaii. Remember when I played baseball there? So we we had a great relationship, you know, and we're laying there. and, 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 And so he does this, and I look up, and he He's going through it, and he says, do you see a doctor? And I said, why? He says, um, he said, this, um, your heart's bad, beats bad. And I said, oh, I know. I, I, I know I have, I have that atrial fibrillation, whatever it is. I have that, you know. He says, do you see a doctor? And I said, yes, I do. He says, my heart's like a horse. I'm strong. It just beats badly, you know. He said, well, you're lucky. 
And I said, no, 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 I'm far from lucky. I said, I am very, very much in love with my Lord. And I told him right then and there in my living room, I said, you know, I'm not worried about that sheet of paper. He wanted to know if I wanted to take it to show my doctor. And I said, no. I said, um, my God knows how I am. I'm not going to live a second longer than I have to live. And I'm not going to live a second shorter than what God has anointed for me. And that's when he said the second time, you're a lucky man. And I said, why? Because I believe that. I didn't want to keep on trumping this guy, but I did ask him to come to our church. And I did ask him to, uh, to, uh, to look into what, what he would consider luck that I consider a great blessing. Listen, I, I believe with all my heart in this world in which you and I live today and all the turmoil that's going on in it and whatever it is that's going through you, uh, whatever is troubling you, say it's something that you have that you know, just has knocked you down for a while. I want to say to you, it's far better for you and me to be with God in the midst of what looks like a terrible place rather than to be without God, what looks like to be in an apparently safe place. The only safety and security that you and I have is to be with our God. And that's what Paul was teaching in this chapter. And that's what the Lord God was teaching through Paul in this chapter. Those guys that wanted to abandon ship and really, practically speaking, logically speaking, their best bet was to jump off that ship, get in a smaller boat, and kind of maneuver so they could get to the shore. That was their best bet. That's logically speaking. That's the world's way of speaking. But Paul had already heard from God. And God said, stay on the ship. To stay on the ship is where safety is. And that's the trust that you and I have. And so God looks at you and me just as Paul looked at those guys on the ship and he says, take courage, Wanda. Whatever you're going through, God sees it. He is in control. He knows what's happening to you. You humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you at the proper time. He knows what you're going through. And He loves and cares for you. You won't live a single moment longer than you ought to live, nor a single moment less. It's safer for you and me to be in the will of God, what looks like danger, than to be outside of the will of God, which looks like safety. This world in which we live is going somewhere quickly. This could be, don't know, don't know. Anything could happen, spin things around. But we could be definitely in the last days. Don't know. Not trying to say that we are. I'm just saying everything is moving in that direction. And if you and I have a trust and a love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we'll be as secure as those men on that boat. Therefore, Because we love you, we teach this so that you and I can take courage, know what God has promised us, know the promises that we have, hold on to them, cling to them, and not let the the deep waters that we might be swimming through right now make us abandon our hope. Take courage, for I and you believe God.
Father, we do believe and trust in you. We don't understand everything, Father. I don't guess we ever will this side of heaven. I don't understand why, why some people have difficulties and struggle and others don't, but that's not our business. Our business is to know and to love you and to trust you and to care for you with all of our hearts and, and just to take courage. Take courage. The one to whom we belong, you, dear Father, more than able to care for us. So we trust in you, the God to whom we belong, the God to whom we serve. As Paul gave us the words, Father, we believe you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all so much. Have a great day. See you next week. God bless you.